Welcome to the JCR, a Massey podcast where people and ideas intersect. My name is Margaret DeLeon, PhD student and junior fellow at Massey College. have the privilege of hosting a remarkable journalist whose work goes beyond the traditional boundaries of reporting. I'm thrilled to welcome Jordes Gavia, the 2023 Marshall McLuhan Fellow and reporter with the Philippine online news outlet Rappler. She is being honored for her exceptional commitment to investigative journalism and human rights. Thanks so much, Jody, for, for joining us today and welcome to Messi. Thanks for having me. We'll start with uh, a few questions on your career in journalism, your journey. So my first question is, when did you start your career in journalism and what kind of attracted you to this profession? I actually started in uh, 2013. I was an intern for Rappler. At first, I didn't really think I was going to be a journalist because I took journalism as a pre-law degree oh. because my parents wanted me to become, become a lawyer. But eventually, things changed and I realized that maybe journalism is for me. And that's because of my internship with Rappler. And since then, it's been a really great journey from being an intern to covering the drug war to now covering the impact of the drug war post-Duterte administration. It's Amazing to see that you kind of started as an intern and then now being honored as a McLuhan Fellow for your work at Rappler, which is amazing. And 2023, which is like 10 years since you started, yeah. it's kind of like a commemoration of your 10 years. In Makes journalism. me feel old in the way it's also. <laughs> and what motivated you to focus on human rights and investigative journalism? I think like growing up, there was never really a... Uh, like a like a fit j- human rights journalist in the Philippines. I never knew someone growing up like, oh, this person, this journalist is a human rights journalist. And at Rappler, we never really had a human rights journalist before the Duterte administration. Uh, when so when people were asking in the office who could cover the Commission on Human Rights, then who can focus on them? Because back then the commission was receiving attacks against the, from the Duterte administration. They were being lambasted online, and we had to write about them. So someone made an open call in the office, and I said, let me do it, because eventually that's had been my job since I started being a journalist. I covered malnutrition and poverty issues in the poorest communities, and in, in the strongest sense, that's human rights issues, right? So it was like a kind of a uh, smooth transition for me. What challenges do you face in reporting on controversial issues like the war on drugs and political dissent in the Philippines? I think the biggest issue is that during the Duterte administration, I was so scared that the stories we publish that are linked to the drug war would eventually fast track our closure. And that happened, I mean, that almost happened in 2017. We were ordered shut down, but we fought it out and we're st- we still survive. Beyond that, I've, I'm also actually bogged by the fear that my stories would impact negatively the families I'm covering, their safety. Uh, sometimes that's more, I'm more scared for them than the impact, than for myself. Like, I know I can take care of myself, but for them, they have no other way. They have to bear it. Uh, bear it or just kind of sometimes they tell me that's okay that's okay but I can see through it all that they're also afraid they just have they're just like putting it they're just like keeping this face on because they want to give get justice for their loved ones and how do you 
deal with those issues that these families are bringing to you that that they're scared for their lives when they come talk to you and I I know you mentioned that they're coming to you voluntarily and they want their stories to be heard but how do you kind of reconcile that and how do you ensure that these families are, are safe from harm? From the beginning, I always tell them that they have no obligation to talk to me, that they can withdraw anytime, even after our interview when I'm in the process of writing. I always remind them, do you really want me to to write the story, even if I don't uh, name you or I don't put identifiable information? Do you still want me to pursue the story? I give them a chance to get out of the story every step of the way and I put their safety first like sometimes uh, I don't even ask them to go on video anymore I just put I just let them record their thoughts and then just for my notes for accuracy but I never use that in the open and I think at the at the at most important is after my stories publish I always ask them like monthly sometimes or weekly if how they how they're doing and I make them feel and I make them realize that they can come to me for anything even in the in the like in the most smallest ways like if they need help and I mean make sure that I will connect them to a group that would help them. That's incredible that you continue to keep in touch with your sources. I think that kind of speaks to what you mentioned in your talk about kind of integrating your journalism within the community and becoming and not being kind of a third party observer and a reporter of of the news. I'm curious, like what kind of keeps you going mm-hmm. and uh, what motivates you to continue doing this reporting? I think first I'll be really honest that I do not know what to do. I mean, I don't have the necessary skills to like do to change careers at this point in my life. And also, I I mean, but seriously, what really motivates me is the fact that the families continue to fight for justice, that they continue to talk to me, even if they have no obligation to do so. Like if they can do that, despite the challenges that they face, despite the constant threats that they continue to feel or receive because they're still in the communities the people who kill their loved ones are still in the communities but they still continue calling them out they still go to the public i mean what right do i have to take a step back and say i'm i'm scared for my life i'm going to stop this anymore because i can't do it anymore i mean i can't promise the families that i will give them justice that i will put to Terete or whoever killed their loved ones behind bars my journalism I admit cannot do that. But what I can promise them is I'll be there for them every step of the way if they need someone to listen to their stories. That's amazing. How do you think your reporting contributes to societal change in the Philippines, particularly in the context of human rights? That's a really <laughs> <laughs> I wish I have like the concrete answers to that, but I think like I would measure it in the small societal changes. Mm-hmm. Like for example, uh when the Duterte administration, when he made an effort to demonize human rights, what I did was I did explainers on what is human rights even. I did TikTok videos. I did articles in Filipino just explaining what is what it is. Mm-hmm. And when I see communities or people understanding it better, I think that's already societal change for me, even in their own communities. So mm-hmm. like this person understands that 
the human concept of human rights better and then he tells his neighbors or his friends what it is that's already ripples of change right and also as that's aside from the fact that sometimes i would see or hear families thanking me because they were able to receive something from kind meaning and kind individuals because they read that in my stories mm-hmm. that's already like a huge change for me and it's definitely the accumulation of all of these yeah. little little changes that impact wider society yeah, and i think i guess also more importantly is through my stories i was able to put on the record what happened mm-hmm. and the imid- the aftermath of what happened i mean in the future when there's like disinformation efforts saying that this killings didn't happen but my stories are there these happened and they would be able i guess records of history already one thing that you mentioned during your talk that really resonated with me was uh, one of your sources was able to send their kids to school because you mentioned their stories in in your reporting, which is really impactful and is an unintended consequence of your work. How do you ensure the accuracy of your reports in an environment where misinformation can be so prevalent? I guess like I make sure that I I go through the rigorous journalistic process that we have Mm -hmm. at Rappler that our editors will will see our uh, screen our stories for accuracy not necessarily for the tone or also for the way that our angle but also accuracy and also since i report on things that are that heavily rely on narratives of the families as much as possible i make sure that i see at least a uh, a document or a police plotter to just see the basic details of the story. And of course, I do not only interview like, the victims' families, but also the neighbors, the people around them, or even uh, the human rights groups who has documented these incidents prior to me writing about that. Uh, I understand that in this context, it's hard to get all sides because, I mean, there's that efforts in the government to erase everything. I haven't even I have the Philippine National Police refuses to talk to me to Raptor, I guess. So that would be hard to get documents. So I rely every, everything on what the families or what the groups tell me. How do you reconcile that issue where you're not able to access police reports to verify information? At the very least I just put in the story that we tried our best to reach out. Okay. Because at the end of the day, it's the Philippine National Police decision to not speak to me. Mm-hmm. It's not that I refuse to reach out to them or I uh, fell short in getting their side. I did everything. I mean, the spokesperson of PNP is like my, like it's on my contact list and it's always scene zoning me mm-hmm. on Viber. But if I were able to do that, that's already on them if they refuse to, te- to talk to me. I have another question, but it's about the McLuhan Fellowship. What does being awarded the Marshall McLuhan Fellowship mean to you, both personally and professionally? I think like there's already blurred lines because professionally and personally, my work has really evolved around the victims. And when I was awarded the McLuhan Fellowship, it was really a time that I was reassessing my work as a journalist. Like, is this still for me? Uh, am I doing enough? But I, when I got it, it that it was not only uh, an affirmation of the work that I've done, it's an affirmation that the stories of the drug war victims are should be continually told. And regardless if the situation in the Philippines is seemingly changes because there's a new president and the president is not as harsh publicly as the former president. But as long as the families are still trying to get justice, that there are no people being convicted, 
I should still continue doing that stories and the Marshall McLuhan Fellowship uh, as an affirmation of that, uh, like that pathway for me. What does the fellowship enable you to do and what kind of goals do you have or what you, what you uh, seek to achieve during your fellowship? Well, the McLuhan Fellowship allowed me to take a step back and see the bigger picture of things. And actually going through this lecture tour around Canada uh, in the conduct of me working on the presentation, it gave me like a chance for introspection to make me reflect on the career I've had so far, 10 years. 10 years might be that might seem so short for many, but when you cover the Duterte administration for almost seven or six years of that 10 years, that could be a lot to also digest and process. And I think this is this McLuhan Fellowship, the, ter- the, the lecture tour and the amount of preparation I've done for this is one of the rare times that I've been able to reflect of the thing, uh, reflect on the things I've done for my work. And it's nice. And I'm looking forward to actually reassessing, recalibrating my thoughts about journalism in the lens of the people that I will be able to talk to or the people that I will be able to engage with during this tour in Canada. That's excellent. And I'm, I, congratulations again Thank on you such so much. an amazing achievement. Your talk here at Massey, it, it focuses on the evolving role of journalism in covering human rights stories. How do you see this role kind of changing in the current media landscape? I think now many journalists are now seeing the importance of not thinking that your the process ends when your story is published. Uh, we're now seeing more people embracing solutions journalism, embracing the fact that sometimes you have to find ways yourselves to to move further the discourse on the issue that you're writing about. Sometimes that journalism pieces are not enough. Sometimes you have to make events or directly engage with the government with the issues that you've found about or you've discovered through your writing. And that's one way that I'm seeing journalism evolve, at least in the Philippines. Rappler is pivoting towards that, to building communities. Mm-hmm. We've made sure that our stories are more focused on the long run. We've actually done with so many explainers, investigatives, in-depths, and more collaborative action. We're engaging with communities, we're engaging with civil society, and that's like one way for us to not only improve our craft, but also improve uh, audience engagement and making people realize that they're part of the process. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that shift of journalism towards participatory yeah. action and and making sure that your work actually makes a difference yeah. in, in society. Can you uh, discuss any specific ways that journalists can work towards creating impactful solutions? I know you mentioned the solutions-driven journalism, but uh, could you think of other ways that new and emerging journalists can make sure that their work has an impact on society? I think that one of the easiest way is to always see your stories through. Like, I mean, for example, uh, with the International Criminal Court uh, developments and the stories that are written on the drug war victims, I make sure that when there are actually discussions related to this, I make sure that the groups know that I have stories written on them. I open seek opportunities for my stories to be included in discussions. Uh, sometimes that's the that's the easiest route because, I mean, there are a lot of stories being published every day, and you have to make an effort 
for communities to know, for organizations to know that you have this kind of stories. And that doesn't mean that you're promoting yourself, you're promoting yourself as a journalist. It just means that you're making sure that the issues you've written about do not stay in your echo chamber. And I guess that's also one way to ensure... Uh, to, for journalists to make sure that their stories have impact, go out of your echo chamber. I mean, it's so easy to be to easy to drown ourselves in that echo chamber when we all hear these affirmations, we hear the same progressive lines. But go out, go out, go out of your echo chamber, go to the field, go to the communities, and you will hear you will hear more nuance or opinion that may not align with yours, but completely opens another path. Yeah. in relation to your issue. How do you perceive the current state of press freedom in the Philippines under the new Marcos administration? Well, uh, right now, there are still journalists in jail. There are still journalists getting killed. The uh, There are newsrooms shutting down, not because of threats to the government, but also because of the issues of businesses. Uh, as long as there are still journalists who feel threatened because of the libel cases because of uh, threats of shutdown losing their livelihood or that they are still in jail waiting to get bailed out or their cases to move forward. I think it's safe to say that press freedom in the Philippines is not yet that good. I mean, the bar is so low under the Duterte administration that we feel any positive thing is already like an improvement. But you have to see it in the bigger sense. You have to see it in the situation of the journalists outside of the Philippine capital. And they're still facing the same problems they face under the Duterte administration, under the, the Aquino administration, under the Arroyo administration, under previous presidents. And that means that things are not yet okay. What are your kind of hopes uh, for <laughs> for the future of journalism in the Philippines? Ah, uh, like... Well, I, I hope that there will be more journalists going to the field because I've been seeing less and less students coming into the field after they graduated from universities. I've like I know more journalists now that have no journalism undergraduate degree. Mm. Most of my friends now are working in PR or in the government. My hope is that there will be more journalists. But at the same time, I hope that more people support journalism in the Philippines. May it be through subscribing to our services or to just like engaging with our work. Mm -hmm. I hope that more people see the value that they add when they engage with us because that motivates us both, I guess, financially and also uh, ideolo ideologically. And I imagine the shift towards solutions-focused journalism and that like, call to action that you integrate in all of your work would definitely enable uh, people to be more interested in journalism and be more invested when they have a stake in the game. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's for them. Our work is for the people. Like, journalism's first obligation is to the public, right? Mm -hmm. So if they see that, that how we see how important their their worth is for us, or we value them, then I guess it should go both ways also. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today. It was really such a pleasure to, to meet you and to chat with you about all of your incredible work and congratulations again on your fellowship. And we are also excited to see what you what you are able to do and um, yeah, the next 10 years of your, <laughs> of, your, of your journalism career. Thank you so much for allowing me to uh, reflect on my tenures and also to look forward for the next decade also.
I've been speaking with Joey Gavia, a reporter with the Philippine online news outlet Rappler and the 2023 Marshall McLuhan Fellow. I'm Margaret DeLeon. You've been listening to the JCR, a production of the Junior Fellows at Massey College at the University of Toronto.